In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. This is the I Spy Radio Show. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Keeping an eye on big government. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. And now, here is your host, Mark Anderson. Welcome. So glad you're joining us today, our last live show of the year. But don't miss next week's Encore presentation with Dr. Ken Johnson talking about the Essenes who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls and who, in roughly 200 B.C., accurately predicted to the year when the Messiah would come. But Jewish religious authorities of the day didn't want people to know about it and did their best to hide that good news. Even for centuries afterward, they tried to hide it. It is a great show and one to be sure not to miss, especially with it being Christmas weekend. This weekend, we're talking about the Constitution and our rights, because right now they are under constant attack by the left. And every day, it seems more and more revelations appear about just how far the far left has gone to rob you of your rights. This last week, news has broken that Twitter officials conspired with the government to interfere in the elections far, far more than Russia collusion ever could have. These were government officials willing to sabotage, to lie, and to silence opposition. They were government agents serving in the Trump administration who would do and did anything they could to rid themselves of him. Speaking of, did you see on Tucker Carlson that a source familiar with the complete JFK archives, not just what's been released, but the whole of it, the unredacted stuff, the source said, yes, the CIA was involved with the assassination of John F. Kennedy. I'd completely believe that. That was the CIA of the 1960s. Do you think they've gotten less corrupt in the six decades since? Or do you think they've just gotten more sophisticated? No need to kill someone when you can just kill their reputation, accuse them of an insurrection, prevent them from running again or winning if they tried. On today's show, the Constitution, once again, really is our guiding light back to freedom. I'd like to welcome Jonathan Emore back to the show. He is one of America's top constitutional attorneys and holds the record for beating the FDA eight times in federal courts. He is also the author of several books, including one book that has become one of our favorites, The Authoritarians, Their Assault on Individual Liberty, the Constitution, and Free Enterprise from the 19th Century to the Present. If you haven't already read that one, consider that a must-read for the coming year. Jonathan, it is great to talk to you. Great to be with you. So we've got a ton to talk to you about, but I'd like to really start with something that I think is going to flavor and inform a lot of our discussion today. America fought a war to get away from an authoritarian government. It then put in place a Bill of Rights to ensure freedoms of speech, religion, the press, right to bear arms, and so forth that could not be encroached upon by our government. Otherwise, what was the point of leaving one authoritarian for another? But here we are once again under an authoritarian government, as we'll explore more in, in the segments that follow. But it seems to me at the root of all of this is an inability to hold government personnel accountable, whether they're elected or appointed or hired. How did we get back to where we effectively have a class of nobility and the rest of us just aren't royal? Well, your point is a very good one, particularly coming one day after the anniversary of the uh, demise of George Washington in 1799. Um, It's uh, at that moment and from each point in time thereafter, 
uh, those who love liberty have focused on the reality that here in this country, unlike any other place on earth, that Constitution, that Declaration of Independence, created a nation founded on individual sovereignty, on the uh, protection of individual rights from violation by government. Indeed, the centerpiece, as the Declaration makes clear, of the United States was that it was instituted for the purpose of protecting individual rights. Mm -hmm. Never before in the history of the world had that been the case. Never since that point in time, anywhere else in the world has it been a case. We are really the last best bastion of freedom on earth. And if we lose it here and we allow authoritarians to run as they are, uh, we, we put ourselves into the same environment of slavery and servitude that has predominated the world and that we were so fortunate to escape from when we created this nation. So the the purpose of our mission in life as individuals and what we're called to do right now is to resurrect the Constitution's limits on government power, to restore individual sovereignty, and to ensure that we remain a free people. That has been our mission since we founded the country, and it has been our mission through generation after generation with the expansion of the protection of individual rights to reach all peoples. We could very well say before uh, these authoritarians came to power within the last uh, several years, we could have stood there and said to the world without any any hypocrisy that we were the greatest bastion in defense of individual liberty that the world had ever known, and that freedom is the inherent uh, right and is the purpose of mankind. Instead, we are in a situation where we're being laughed at around the world because we have betrayed our own legacy. We betrayed the very things that have made us the greatest nation on earth. We're frittering away our economic greatness by preventing our own people from being able to do what they have done historically, which is with their freedom, innovate and bring to the market new goods and services. This administration hates the marketplace. Yes, it does. It's dedicated to its destruction. Is using Green New Deal socialism to replace a free market. And in this comes misery. What they are doing to us is treating us as if our species, humans, should be extinguished from the earth. As if extinction of the human race is not an offense against the environment. As in their really demented view of environmentalism, mankind can be forced to freeze and to burn because of no ability to have air conditioning and heating. You can be forced to be local because you can't fly on an airplane. You can be forced to drive in a car that you can't afford uh, and soon won't be able to drive because the battery-powered vehicle is so vastly more expensive and because as they insist on us, getting out of fossil fuel vehicles, they will render those battery-powered cars so astronomically unaffordable. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Government planning in lieu of freedom of choice, individual freedom of choice. That is not the solution. The world has told us that is the means by which people who prosper are brought into abject misery and slavery yep. to the state. Yep, ab absolutely. 
Okay, it is time for a break. There have been some surprising wins at the Supreme Court regarding the Second Amendment. We'll talk that next with Jonathan E. Mord, one of America's top constitutional attorneys. And welcome back. This is the I Spy Radio Show. We're closing out the year by focusing on the Constitution. As you know, it is a guarantee of God-given rights, and we're talking about these important rights with Jonathan E. Moore, a constitutional attorney. So, Jonathan, one of these important rights that is just fundamental to uh, America and also really has some bearing on Oregon right now because of some of the craziness that's happened here uh, is the Second Amendment. And uh, this is one of the most important rights we have, and it is constantly under attack by the left. Although I, I think it gives us some hope that some of the mo- more recent anti-gun laws that have made it to the Supreme Court have met their demise there. Uh, that's not only encouraging, I think it's a little surprising even. You've got the New York state law uh, recently here. This is the, the Bruin case, I think. Uh, it sought to deny citizens the right to conceal carry outside of their own home. That's kind of like, well, what's the point then of having a concealed carry? And also it sought to demonstrate uh, proper cause in order to do so. So what do you make of some of these more recent Second Amendment rulings? And has the Supreme Court finally embraced the concept of shall not be infringed? I think the court is very nearly uh, to the point where it has given full definition in line with the Founding Fathers of what the Second Amendment was intended to mean. The Second Amendment is a protection of your right of self-defense. It's a recognition that a citizenry that is free necessarily has the power to defend itself, not only against crime, but against unjust oppression. And this is a... uh, a truth that underlay both the Declaration and the Constitution. Certainly the Second Amendment is the greatest bulwark of liberty that we have because as we've seen all over the world, when you disarm the population, you not only make them vulnerable to crime uh, like they have never been before, but you also put them in a position where the government has the ultimate control over the destiny of the individual. Mm -hmm. And it's not a situation where you're calling for individuals to take up arms against the government, not at all. You're calling for individuals to defend the freedom that the government is supposed to defend and to defend the rights of individuals. And so they understood well at the time of the founding contrary to Joe Biden's rhetoric and the governor of New York's rhetoric about this, they understood that all manner of weapons necessary for self-defense, including cannons and including uh, individual uh, firearms and swords and broadswords and uh, knives and so on, were a a personal province of an individual in their their quest to protect themselves. So if you start implementing laws that place encumbrances on people's right of self-defense, the Supreme Court has rightly recognized that that is intolerable under the Second Amendment. The right is not qualified by some sort of bureaucratic overlay that says that you may have a weapon of self-defense only if you meet certain criteria that the government thinks preferable, such as uh, red flag laws where your neighbor can call in and say, gee, I don't like my neighbor next door. I think they're a little batty. They have a weapon. Can you go seize it? And then without any due process of of law at all, the the police can come in and confiscate a weapon. That's an outrageous infringement of the Fourth Amendment. Outrageous infringement of the Second Amendment. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we've got that here in Oregon, these red flag laws. And unfortunately, it was passed by somebody who called himself a Republican. And uh, there we are. But so in, in terms of regulations and whatnot, because, I, you know, clearly, I don't think that the founders would have envisioned things like jet fighters or bombers and that sort of stuff. What kinds of firearm regulations are both reasonable and constitutional? Is there such a thing? Well, this is a matter, you know, uh, to the extent that it does involve health and safety, is a matter that is appropriate for local regulation, such such as, you know, if someone has a um, a child and, and decides that that child needs to defend itself with a tactical nuclear weapon, well, <laughs> you can... <laughs> You, you can you can prevent that. Why? Because it poses an immediate threat of a health and safety threat. And you're giving it to a child who does not have the uh, uh, maturity and cognitive level necessary to distinguish between uh, a game of, of, uh, of police and robbers where you don't have an armed uh, child and one who's carrying around a tactical nuclear weapon. Uh, so the point is, yes, there are reasonable restrictions on... Uh, the individual's freedom to the extent that that freedom is inherently uh, capable of abuse. But when it comes to an adult, the, the Constitution's plain. And that is to say that in order for individuals to be protected, uh, they have to have, as is their, is their unalienable right from birth, a right of self-defense that has meaning. And they will define that meaning, not the government. And so if you are presented with a threat that is in an a, the form of an AK-47, uh, and you want to own an AR-15, you should be able to own an AR-15. And if you are posed with a threat that involves uh, a group or a gang or, or a uh, potential for you to be accosted by multiple people, you may need even greater weapons. And if you're in a neighborhood where that is required, so be it. And so if you, it, it, and you know, the irony here is that the uh, government officials themselves uh, uh, privilege themselves at taxpayers' expense with security that oftentimes involves many people carrying AR-15s and other weapons, and yet they would not allow an individual to possess those weapons if they had their druthers, even though they would certainly never uh, relinquish their own right of self-defense. Well, does that right of self-defense include defending yourself against the government? That's the intention. Yeah, you know, of... actually, I, I hate to do this, but I know that's going to take a bit for you to answer. So let's take a break, and we'll come right back to that question with Jonathan Emord. His book is The Authoritarians Don't Go Anywhere. And welcome back. We're talking with one of America's top constitutional attorneys, Jonathan E. Ward, who has beaten the FDA a record eight times in federal courts. We're going to jump right back into where we were. Jonathan, does the right of self-defense include defending yourself against the government? Well, that's the intention of the uh, right is to protect your rights and uh, writ large, all your rights. So if the government were to engage in an arbitrary action, say, for example, all Jews were to be uh, ordered into concentration camps. Well, you know what? The Second Amendment of the Constitution would protect those individuals, as would their First Amendment rights, hmm. and to the extent that an, an inherently rights-violative action is undertaken, individuals could defend themselves against that and have a constitutional argument in their 
defense. Hmm. Now, you run great risk by doing that as an individual, because if it is adjudicated and you're found not to possess a correct perception of your rights, then you may end up uh, losing all your rights by being incarcerated perhaps for the rest of your life. So it's not a thing that the uh, that, that is contemplated um, as uh, something that would be routine, but you can imagine circumstances in which a government, any government in the world, could grossly violate individual rights. And so, so long as we preserve a republic, so long as we follow the Constitution by a government of limited powers, we don't have to confront those unsavory and, un and, and difficult uh, questions. So the real issue for us today is how do we ensure that government uh, conforms to the limits of the Constitution? Because it is precisely the falling apart of our republic and the erection of a, of a government that is contrary to the founding principles and the requirements of the Constitution that we face. Yes, absolutely. And we have to avert these types of things. We witnessed in the summer of 2020, all across the country and continuing thereafter, the effect, an effective revolution in which government refused to defend the rights of individuals and people in Antifa and BLM engaged in rioting and destruction and arson with, with virtually no effective uh, response from the government. Exactly. And this continues on in your area even to this day. Well, that is a very dangerous thing for government to do because they've abdicated the requirements of the Constitution, which are to defend the rights of individuals. Yeah, and, and that's where it and gets they, back to feeling like, you know, this is, they've got the protected nobility class, and then there's the rest of us. And so the rest of us must then be sure to be armed and protect ourselves in order to ensure that we can survive yep. this onslaught yep. that the government is refusing to prevent. Well, that is eventually leads to the dissolution of government. And so these fools who are in government, who are disarming the police and who are uh, transforming society into bedlam, uh, they have to realize the consequences ultimately of that is that an armed citizenry will not accept that they will not be protected. They will form their own government in effect. They will unite together and form committees that establish effectively their own police force. Hmm. This is what ultimately happens. And you can't blame people for uh, doing what is an inalienable right to defend themselves, their families, and their property. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in addition to self-defense, which is you know your right to defend yourself against physical attacks, we've got other rights that are under attack. And um, one of these, of course, is free speech. And right now it's being censored. And we've got uh, clear evidence now that Twitter was interfering with uh, election and a whole bunch of other things. But uh, in terms of censoring, where they've been able to get away with this, not just Twitter, but also big tech, is the private company defense. You know, oh, they're a private company. They can do what they want. Uh, if they wanted to blacklist conservatives and shadow ban them while amplifying far left talking points and narratives, including bots and fake accounts. Well, that's just fine. Is it? Nope. I'm sorry to say for them that uh, this is exactly what the First Amendment contemplates in its breadth and scope, that there might be agents of the government who perform the role of censorship. This has been true, you know, all the way back to the cases in the 1960s where authorities were involved with uh, uh, blocking um, uh, 
the the uh, presentation of movies and other things based on censorship of the government and and preventing people from posting things on billboards and government uh, uh, platforms like uh, bus the sides of buses and so forth on the metro. All of this has involved content-based discrimination. And what happens in these instances is agents of the government, quasi-governmental entities and private entities, hmm. have been co-opted by the government to perform these acts of censorship. Nonetheless, the state remains responsible for the censorship. The same is true here. The Biden administration has violated the First Amendment. It has done so directly through the White House, and it has also done so through agencies of the government, the FBI, for example, and other agencies where it has uh, co-opted or influenced uh, 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 private sector forums, communication, big tech, uh, to um, censor information. And they have done it in spades. And they've yes. done it in fulfillment of the government's wishes. Right. That is classic censorship. That's not some unusual thing. This is an example of collusion between the state and the private sector to rid the marketplace of disfavored communication. Hmm. That is a violation, classic violation of the First Amendment. And we didn't have the evidence uh, in sufficient quantitative amounts as we do now uh, just a few months ago. But all of this information being supplied by Elon Musk uh, from Twitter files is very, very interesting yes. because it's showing direct collusion between the White House and big tech in censoring information. And that should should result in injunctions against the White House for uh, use of its power to, in this capacity. It plainly violates the First Amendment. All those adversely affected who've been deplatformed and have been denied their opportunity to communicate should be lining up in, in space to sue the administration for a violation of their First Amendment rights. Would <clears throat> what would that look like? Would that take the form of like a class action lawsuit or should there people be suing individually? Well, it certainly could take the form of a class action lawsuit. It would seek declaratory and injunctive relief, a declaration that what the administration had done uh, violates the First Amendment rights of the of these parties. And then in addition, a an injunction barring the administration from taking action comparable to that. And then there would be uh, uh, the potential ultimately for bringing contempt actions against government agents if they persisted, even in the presence of the government injunction, the uh, court's injunction. Hmm. Okay, uh, it is time for break. We'll continue this discussion about Twitter censoring free speech. It's more than that. It's election interference and pushing government authoritarianism. Our guest today is attorney Jonathan Emord. Welcome back to the iSpy Radio Show. It being Christmas time, naturally, we are talking about the Constitution. Hey, Jesus came to free us from our sin. The Constitution is our way back to freedom. And we're doing that with top constitutional attorney, Jonathan Emord. And we've been talking Twitter and the revelations these last few days about their censorship. But it's more than that. It is propaganda, too. And, Jonathan, the, the depth and breadth of this has, I think, been what's really been shocking here. I mean, a lot of us suspected this was going on. Certainly, I myself have been shadow banned and deplatformed and the rest of it. But um, as far as election interference is concerned, we have it directly from Elon Musk's own mouth. Tom Fitton of Judicial Watch had said Twitter files show Twitter activist employees without basis suppressed and censored the president of the United States, Donald Trump, in the days before the 2020 election. This is damning evidence of election interference. 
to which Musk replied unequivocally true, the evidence is clear and voluminous. I mean, that's pretty straightforward there for what Musk said. So as, as far as election interference is, is concerned, can anything be done about that? I mean, I, I think we're past the, the point of overturning 2020 election. But as far as the people that were involved, including government employees, what sort of action can be taken against them? Well, I think uh, in instances where the information, you know, where this is part of our history, unfortunately, it becomes more difficult with the passage of time. Obviously, you can't undo the results of the election. Uh, and uh, when, when parties have been sitting in office for multiple years, however, you can enjoin them from engaging in the same conduct in future. And you have a likelihood of a repetition because there's been nothing to stop them. And, exactly. and you may be able to find evidence that this has happened in more recent elections and the same parties may be involved. So you can enjoin them, but you can also investigate any criminal violations to the extent that there's been a, a, a election tampering that has taken place. Those individuals may still be subject to criminal prosecution. May, it may be both federal and state. And while it's far uh, very unlikely that this attorney general, Merrick Garland, will do anything that is helpful in that regard because he's, he appears to be a political hack by his actions rather than a uh, man of justice, I, I, I suspect that you know some of the state's attorneys general would act. So I think there's, there's a lot of room there. And you know we've already seen uh, Governor DeSantis take recent action. Uh, and I think comparable action will likely come from other governors as they come to realize that, indeed, they do have power that can be exercised to protect the integrity of uh, the, the elections and can be used to protect the First Amendment to the Constitution, the rights of individuals in their states against this kind of censorship that has been going on. Well, the mainstream media has been trying to throw themselves in the way here in front of these bullets and, and, and trying to say that, well, they weren't actively directing Twitter employees to do this or to say this. But uh, I, I disagree with that. Some of this certainly looks like direction uh, uh, as far as I can see. But one of the things that I suspect is still out there is we have yet to see private secret government accounts where government employees, whether DOJ, FBI, CIA, DHS or whoever, may have, and I think highly likely, have had secret accounts to communicate with Twitter officials directly and separately from their official government accounts uh, so they could speak more freely and frankly about these things. If that's the case, that they're using these secret accounts, does that change the dynamics here at all, especially on the legal side of things? Well, you bet. Uh, this is malfeasance. This is abuse of power, uh, and we need to find out who's responsible for that. We need to, to have a cleaning of the House in the, in the FBI. I mean, we've seen enormous uh, uh, numbers of examples, grotesque, of uh, specific actions by agents inside the FBI to favor uh, the Democrat Party and to attack Donald Trump and to attack other Republicans, and here to engage in censorship in the service of the incumbent party. We cannot have this in this country. Mm. We, those who are responsible for these actions need to be prosecuted. They need to be found out, and so we need to have an audit performed. We need to pass legislation that will enable us to have an independent audit of the functioning of the FBI, specifically focused on determining the instances of collusion, the people responsible, and where it goes whether or not it goes all the way up to the top of the agency, we need to find out, and those people need to be removed. Yeah. And we need to have an attorney general willing to prosecute them to the extent that laws have been violated, that they violated the hat, the, uh, the uh, I forget the name of the act, 
that pro- prohibits uh, government entities from individuals from uh, partisan politics while they're in their official functions. Those laws, the Hobbs Act, I think, needs to be enforced. They need to be enforced and uh, against the FBI agents responsible for those activities. Yes. Yep. And that's the only way we can clear house here. We have to do it. It's not an option. If we don't do it, it's going to recur. If it recurs, we really don't have a system in place in our country where individuals have their freedom of speech and press protected so that they can perform the all-critical checking value of the First Amendment on government men and measures. Instead, what you have is a dictatorship mm-hmm. where where these agents censor information that's critical. That's, it, it, that's a, a version of the Soviet Union. Yes, absolutely. You can't have that and yep. have a republic. Yep, absolutely. I'd like to talk to you about one of your own victories against authoritarianism there in Virginia against complete overreach because as anyone with common sense knew, those COVID Gestapo orders put in place did not go away and a client of yours was recently raided under previous mandates. Uh, COVID, of course, was the excuse to give the government more power over people and we'll talk about that in the next segment with Jonathan Emord. His last name is spelled E-M-O-R-D, E-M-O-R-D, if you're looking him up online right back after this. back. We're talking with Jonathan E. Moore, who wrote the book, The Authoritarians, Their Assault on Individual Liberty, the Constitution, and Free Enterprise from the 19th Century to the Present. If you want to know how the land of the free got to where we are today, you definitely need to read that book. So, Jonathan, you have a really interesting article about your own involvement in fighting the authoritarian state there. This is uh, involving a, a popular restaurant there in Virginia, and yet the armed police swooped in as though it was the middle of COVID once again. Why don't you talk to us about what happened there? Well, um, on December the 2nd, uh, about 25 armed police came into a restaurant, very popular restaurant in Fredericksburg, Virginia, called Gormelts, owned by Matt Strickland, who is a candidate for the Virginia State Senate, Republican. And they confiscated all of his alcohol and imaged all of his hard drives and explained to him that he had been operating his uh, restaurant illegally because his license had been suspended by the ABC board, which had done that in response to Governor Northam, Ralph Northam, Democrat Governor of Virginia's uh, executive order, his COVID order. His COVID order was both arbitrary, capricious, and unconstitutional in that it prohibited any Virginia citizen from leaving his or her house between the hours of midnight and 5 a.m., limited to the number of 10, I believe, the people that could go into a restaurant required that they be six feet apart and allowed them to uh, not wear a mask if they had difficulty breathing or were eating uh, or were drinking, uh, but to wear a mask otherwise and required all of this to be communicated to every customer that would come in. And in in any event, all of this nonsense, which was unscientific and arbitrary and capricious, Mm Um, was then enforced by him against this restaurant, not at the time of its adoption, but fully even after he had withdrawn the order in May of 2021. So they enforced it in December of 2022. And they seized all his alcohol, and they they, uh, imaged his hard drives, and they've effectively put him out of business because, as you know, a restaurant these days that doesn't sell alcohol cannot cannot exist because... The margins are far too small for food sales. So 
that was the situation as as it was presented to me. And then on behalf of uh, Gormeltz, I petitioned because the court action, there was nothing left to be done. And it was final. Uh, there was a matter that could have been appealed, but there was no basis for appeal because it wasn't dealt with properly. But nonetheless, when we got in there, I said to him, what you need to do, it's really your last resort, is to petition Governor Glenn Youngkin and Attorney General Jason Mayoris in Virginia and ask them to recognize that there is no gubernatorial authority upon which this agency acted and that the action should therefore uh, be stopped and that efforts should be undertaken by the governor to do that. And lo and behold, the governor responded brilliantly. Uh, Governor Yunkin issued his own executive order making all of the agencies in the government supply him with evidence of any instance where a party had been fined or had their license revoked under the COVID orders of the prior governor, and then directed his finance secretary to receive all that information and determine how each of these people could be recompensed and their licenses restored. And then just today introduced into the General Assembly his must-pass budget, in which he includes as a part of it that uh, uh, legislative authority for reimbursement and restoration of the licenses that were taken during Governor Northam's regime uh, for COVID. And then, um, with knowledge of this action of the governor, which uh, was was forthcoming, I I then approached the ABC uh, chief counsel, who's a very kind man and a very professional person. Fortunately, and uh, through our interactions, it resulted in the issuance of an order by the ABC yesterday that restored the license that was taken from Gormelts wow. and and will give them back their alcohol. Both of those things on December 23rd, and so they'll be back in business, and no criminal charges will be brought against the owner and his family and the employees and the restaurant. Well, and so, that's really exciting because it really shows that people can fight back against these authoritarian measures, against an authoritarian government, and because so much of it, I mean, they're like these petty dictators. And it's kind of astonishing to hear how badly this guy was treated. There was a lot of businesses here in Oregon that weren't treated that badly. So that it's rather shocking to hear that. Um, but getting back to this notion of, Twitter and, and COVID, um, like censored political speech, we, we now know that Twitter was working directly with government to censor speech that offered differing opinions on COVID. The CDC worked with Twitter to hide discussions of alternate treatments. Uh, they actively banned accounts that disparaged the vaccines and labeled and hid discussions under the umbrella of misinformation. And in many cases, this so-called uh, misinformation that the government wanted censored later proved to be true. And, and and worse, I think, is that much of the government's vaunted claims about COVID and the vaccines have themselves turned out to not be true. So, I'm, I'm, and I'm certain that we'll learn uh, Facebook and other social media were also doing much of the same. So what do you make of this uh, as, as far as COVID is concerned? It, it's obviously different than political speech. This is where, where they're using this to essentially impose authoritarianism because it led to direct actions and consequences imposed by our government if you did not obey. Yes, they violated the First Amendment to the Constitution with dire consequences in the context of COVID. They censored information that was necessary for people to take steps with their own physicians in in ways that would save their lives and would limit the horrific effects of Delta and 
uh, even even Omicron for some populations, and they minimized the the uh, significance of natural immunity. They misled the American people into thinking that uh, the vaccine was the only answer to this, to the exclusion of early treatments. They censored and made unavailable uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and information about that, those two options. They punished physicians who communicated about ivermectin. They punished physicians who uh, supplied their patients with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine as well. And so they lied to us repeatedly, as Fauci did over and over again, as the president did himself repeatedly, that those who were vaccinated would not carry the disease and transmit it. That was a lie. That those who were vaccinated would not contract COVID. That was a lie. That those who weren't vaccinated were exclusively the source for the transmission of the disease. That was a lie. The children were somehow uniquely capable of transmitting the disease and needed to be viewed uh, as individuals who couldn't go to school. That was a lie. As individuals who had to be vaccinated, that's a lie. In order for them to cope well, that was a lie. Um, we've been lied to over and over and over and over again. People have lost their jobs. People have lost their positions in the military. People have had uh, our whole, whole, whole our whole mm -hmm. national security has been threatened as a result of yes. the rigorous enforcement of this nonsense. And then we have the the vaccine itself, which has proven itself to be far less than what they the exaggerated claims from the government were about it. We now have a vaccine that, even in the instance of the first version of the virus, the Delta virus, may be effective for 30 days with a booster, or for 30 days. We are in, in the endemic phase. We have variants that are prolific, that are not affected by the, the vaccine, which is addressed to the original virus. And even when they have uh, uh, a variant identified and a virus formed for that purpose, the, the mutations of the virus are so extensive that it's impossible. And the fact of the matter is people realize now that with 80% 80, 80 of the population having contracted COVID, that their protection lies as it did in the beginning with having survived the disease and having fulsome natural immunity. Mm -hmm. And they realize with their children that the risk of vaccination vastly exceeds the risks of the disease. It's because the children have, suffer a mild disease and they also have fulsome immunity from it. Yes, yes they do. Okay, I'd like to continue on that thought after this quick break. We'll wrap things up with Jonathan E. Mord after this. And we're back on our final segment here. The hour has flown by, as it always does, whenever we talk with Jonathan E. Mord, one of America's top constitutional attorneys. And uh, Jonathan, we were talking about COVID vaccines being forced on kids and and I know that I've seen a lot of uh, medical articles that talk about how getting that vaccine, children, I think younger than 12, when they get that vaccine, they have a 400% increase in myocarditis. And and yet it's being mandated right. in many of these schools. This is just shocking. And and, really, and, that's, and that risk is unacceptable. Oh, absolutely. Because they don't benefit from the vaccine. Mm -mm. They don't. Mm-mm. The business of science is to constantly question science, and and yet the CDC, the FDA, and especially Fauci claim that only their claims were true and scientific. Uh, but unlike Twitter censoring political speech, 
people actually died as a result of the government's interference here in, in free speech. So legally, uh, uh, well, how do we start holding these people accountable? Is, is it better done through the courts or is it better done from um, people that, that realize the, the dangers that we're in within government uh, uh, changing the rules of government? Both. It's up to the Congress of the United States and the courts to uh, assure justice and to ensure that the information is not suppressed. The biggest problem uh, the government we we have with the government is is in the form of one man, Anthony Fauci. Uh, he is the greatest threat to the United States. Look what he's done. With full knowledge that he was dealing with an enemy of the United States that had a bioweapons program with the PLA supervising the Beijing Institute of Virology, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and all the institutes of virology throughout the country, he nonetheless ensured that the uh, people in charge of that lab had gain-of-function research performed for them through the auspices of uh, Ralph Barrick at uh, the University of North Carolina and Peter Zazek at uh, EcoHealth and at Harvard, mm -hmm. using them, funneling millions and millions of dollars through those institutions, knowing that it's going over there to Wuhan in part, and that it was a collusion, a collaboration between these entities, uh, his office at NIAID, NIH, and AMRID, the Defense Department's research facility, and these entities. He was the linchpin. He was the protagonist. He came up with this years and years ago, around 2007. He began pushing this, knowing full well he's dealing with an enemy of the United States, knowing full well that he's giving them the means, the wherewithal, if they choose, to create a bioweapon. Didn't matter that he, he didn't know, in fact, that they did create it. He knew they, they were intent on creating bioweapons to use against the West. It was official doctrine of the military, uh, and this is a military lab. It is under the auspices of the military. It is a communist institution. There is no institution, no business in China that is not under the direct control Absolutely. of the Communist yeah. Party. Yeah, well, it's kind of like what were you thinking was so, going to happen. So, yeah, what did you think was going to happen? He's too smart not to perceive it. And nonetheless, he was asked point blank by media uh, in, in around 2014. He was asked point blank in an interview, did he consider the risk of a pandemic to be too great? Would he not think that gain-of-function research that the government was assisting with might result in a pandemic, and isn't that too great a risk? And he said no, because the, scientific, the benefits of scientific research, of knowledge, exceed the risk of a pandemic in his mind. Yeah. Not that there wouldn't be a pandemic. Then there he was in the time between the, uh, the uh, um, election of Donald Trump and his inauguration, speaking at Georgetown University Medical Center, stating with a surety that he knew that there would be a pandemic during the Trump administration. Did he sound the alarm in the administration? Did he go to the White House and say, immediately, we've got to shut our borders. We have to do something dramatic because there is this virus. He knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah. He knew it was coming. And then when it happened, he knew that this was at risk. And then look what happened. Yep. Yeah, the communist Chinese weaponized it. Yep. And they did that by allowing international flights to take place when they were shutting down transportation within the country. Yeah. They allowed international flights to go out of Wuhan to the rest of the world. They knew what they were doing. Yeah, well, absolutely. Couldn't agree more.
So, Jonathan, so much about what we've been talking about uh, today really comes down to, do we want a country where law and order mean anything anymore? Do we want a country where we don't have this dual citizenship where you're either with the government and you're in this kind of uh, undeclared nobility and, and royalty, or or do we want everybody to actually be equal? How do we go about changing the government um, if the elections, though, are unwinnable? I mean, if they have been cheating in elections and uh, interfering with elections, as we saw there with Twitter, have we reached a tipping point where we can't get this country back? Well, I think that we have to make it a priority to focus on election integrity. Now, this is a one of those situations where you have a dilemma, because if you keep in place these people who have condoned uh, the corruption by by not ridding it from the election system, uh, then you'll have more corruption. And if you don't prosecute people who are responsible for uh, these acts, even to the extent that uh, if you don't put a check on the abuses of even governors and legislators who allowed votes to be counted after the elections, who allowed uh, mail-in ballots, even in the absence of legislative authority for that, uh, who are condoning this ballot harvesting writ large, like in California, where political operatives are influencing people to allow them to fill out their ballots and submit them. All of this corruption has got to be eliminated. We have to be assured of the integrity of our election process. If we don't do that, if we don't get rid of mail-in balloting uh, writ large like they have in California and ensure that something like this ridiculous Voting Rights Act that was proposed in the Congress of the United States that actually would have made uh, uh, federalized all of the elections in the country and would have had it under this system of mail-in balloting, which is the most capable of abuse. If we don't get a handle on this, we are going to see uh, everything uh, be uh, 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 incapable of being verified. Mm. You'll have people elected, and you won't really know whether they were elected. You'll have, you know, by the popular will. So It'll kill democracy in elections. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, we only got about a minute here with you. So um, as far as moving forward, a lot of what we've dealt with has been government immunity. A lot of these officials... You just can't touch them, it seems. So what would you suggest for the Republicans in Congress starting to change that? What should they focus on? They should focus on a comprehensive bill to protect the integrity of elections, including ensuring that there's voter identification that's meaningful, uh, to enable full tracking of individuals, to have an audit system required and put in place so that federal elections are uh, elections of integrity. And likewise, there ought to be uh, a, a union, really, essentially, among the states to ensure integrity in elections mm. within the states mm. and comparable measures used in state elections. Well, Jonathan, unfortunately, we're up against the clock here with you. I want to thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely fascinating, as always. Thank you so much. Some of you may have anticipated we'd ask Jonathan about the Brunson case we did off-air. In his opinion, it doesn't look good. For lack of standing and the remedy they seek, the removal of elected officials who violated their oaths, it's more of a legislative action than something the courts could do. But he does see some real merit in Kerry Lake's case. Kerry, he said, is our best hope right now to expose what's happened in the elections in a court of law. So be praying for that. A very Merry Christmas to one and all out there. Jonathan's book is The Authoritarian's Buy one for everyone you know because you can't fight what you don't understand and it's important to know how these authoritarians have gained power so we can take it away from them. Because as we say every week, the best information does you no good 
If you don't use it. Reagan, what do you think? I do not believe in a faith that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a faith that will fall on us if we do nothing. It's more than a show. It's self-defense. The I Spy Radio Show.